You're listening to the light version of the Piece of Persistence. Visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash piece of persistence for complete access with double the content and zero ads. Hi, and welcome to the Piece of Persistence, the show where we seek to uncover the keys to happiness and success one honest conversation at a time. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and today I get to introduce you to Judy Slatke. Judy Slatke is an American actress and former competitive ice dancer from Indianapolis, Indiana. With her skating partner, Jim Slatke, she became a four-time world medalist and five-time U.S. national champion. Handpicked by Charles Schultz, she then debuted as Snoopy in the TV special Snoopy's Musical on Ice and has been playing Snoopy on the ice and off ever since. This includes, among countless events and appearances, doing trapeze, backflips on trampolines, flying in zero gravity, and acting in the 1996 comedy film Jingle All the Way, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. On Sesame Street, she was the performer of Little Alice Snuffleupagus since the Muppets debut in 1986, operating the mouth within the suit and also providing the voice, while another puppeteer controls the eyes via remote control. They're very advanced. (laughs) Judy currently lives in New Jersey with her husband, Blake Norton. Thanks for finding us on the light version. If you want to hear what Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts, was like, how Judy as Snoopy flew in zero gravity and on a trapeze, among other feats, with no peripheral vision and pause for hands, working with Billie Jean King on Title IX and more, check us out on our full version at patreon.com. That's www.patreon.com slash piece of persistence, where you can subscribe for our full uncut versions. Judy, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you today on the show. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Thank you. And I was just wondering, when did you know you wanted to be an ice skater? Well, actually, I was three years old when I started skating, so I'm not sure that I knew I wanted to be an ice skater. Wow. My sister started in what they called the Keen Cutters in Indianapolis. It was a class. My grandfather wanted us to get into athletics. Back in the 1950s, little girls were supposed to skate and do gymnastics and swim and things like that. So Mm. we started ice skating. Actually, she started. And by the time I had pleaded as a three-year-old with my mother enough to annoy her, I got to get my own skates. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that was it, when you enjoyed it so much that you got to get your own skates. Yes, yes, absolutely. What was that like for you growing up and becoming a competitive ice dancer? Well, I didn't really go the normal route in the ice skating because I loved the dancing. The skaters that you hear about, uh, you know, they get up at five o'clock in the morning and do the figures and all of that. That was not my bag. Mm. So um, I found a partner and I always wanted to skate with a partner. I wanted somebody to share the excitement with and to talk to, and I didn't want to be alone. Hmm. Um, And so the dancers skated later in the day. Also, ice dancing, it was not the kind of uh, sport that led to anything financial, like the figure skating, the uh, Peggy Fleming and Dorothy Hamill and all, because it wasn't that popular in the United States. So I went to school full time. I was a cheerleader and a majorette and I was in the theater club and I was in the girls club. I did everything that other people say they missed when they were skating. So my life was not what you think of as a typical ice skater. Hmm, That's pretty great. Do you have any favorite stories from that time of competition and everything that you were doing back then? Well, the interesting part of competition competitive skating at that time was that the Eastern Bloc countries, we were still in the Cold War 
greatly so. And to be introduced as a young person who really had limited experience in the world to be all of a sudden at age 16 on the world stage competing against the Eastern Bloc countries Hmm. and watching the politics. Prior to that, I was concerned about whether my laces were clean and my blades were shiny and it didn't dawn on me the things that I had to worry about. And yet my husband and I have talked about it. Apparently, I was very, very interested in what all of them were living through. And that became my focus of the people. Hmm. What did you experience over there at that time? Well, there were several times when I ended up at a party that apparently the Westerners were not supposed to be at the party. Huh. And so if, uh, I don't know, one of the agents from Russia or someone would come in, I would have to hide. And I said, okay, why am I hiding? Because, of course, I was a teenager from Indiana. Yeah. I was not aware of this. But I quickly learned And uh, I just found it so fascinating how people who were in a totally different situation from me viewed competition as a means to be able to leave their country and a means to make some money and a means to meet other people and see what was outside of behind the Iron Curtain. Wow, that's incredible. I have a neighbor, actually, Inessa. She's a lovely young ice skater who's competitive and wants to go to the nationals soon. Of course, I think she's actually a solo figure skater, so maybe this is a little different, but do you have any advice for young ice skaters who want to compete? I think that the key to what I did and was able to accomplish and has been throughout my life is that I don't particularly feel that I ever competed against anyone. I never looked to see where I was you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or how many points I needed to get to such and so, or which judge I needed to win over or anything. I just loved skating and loved figuring out what the edges did and which part of the foot made that edge hold longer. And so I was much more interested how it happened and how I could improve in what I could do and watching other people's faces to see what they enjoyed about my skating. I think that even when I was competing, I was always shocked when somebody said, oh, gee, that judge doesn't like me, or, oh, I have to do this to make sure I get that point. In a way, I was not competitive against other people, and I think that helped me. Yeah, that's brilliant. It sounds like you were able to let go of a lot of the insecurities that other people have in terms of the competitiveness, in terms of uh, interacting or networking with other people. It sounds like insecurity was never really an issue for you. Probably the only insecurity was that my body was unusual for figure skating. I'm four foot ten. Hmm. That's just not a figure skater's body. Most figure skaters are taller. So that would be the only thing that I would have felt that people had talked about. But all I really wanted to do was meet people and hear about things and learn about their social interaction and learn about their countries. And I was intrigued by the fact that in the United States, people wore red and pink and blue. In the Soviet Union and East Germany and those countries, it was all brown and black. And there was obviously a a reason for that, you know, it's much more difficult to keep bright clothes clean and everything else when you're by yourself. But as a country, you don't want to stand out. I don't know. I, I just kept making up all these things about why that was interesting. Huh. It sounds like you came from a place more of curiosity than anything else. I think I always do. I love to learn. I love to view things and figure kind of the background of what happens, not just, oh, okay, today I'm going to the grocery store, but which one should I go to? And 
do I want the cheese first or <laughs> I pretty well think things through. That's great. Was it hard for you to transition into being a professional? Uh, no, in figure skating back then, once you took a dollar or 10 cents for skating, you were professional. So that was the only difference. But the most exciting thing was that you no longer got judged. Mm. You went out on the ice and the only judge was that audience. And a lot of times, even if you fell or you did something wrong or whatever, you could look up and laugh with them. And I always felt like I had to let them know I knew I'd fallen and let's get on with this and laugh at that. Yeah, that's actually always one of my favorite analogies. You know, when people make a mistake and then they just keep making mistakes after that, it always reminds me of the times I've seen figure skaters fall and then they just keep falling because they're so mortified by the fall. And it's kind of great that you're like, well, okay, I fell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that happened. We all experienced that. Let's see what else I can do. Yeah, that's brilliant. So tell me about meeting Charles Schultz. What had you been doing at the time? Well, it was 1969. Um, I was national ice dancing champion with my partner, Jim Sladke. And Charles Schultz had the ice rink in his town in Santa Rosa, California, had burned down. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And he loves to skate. He still has a hockey tournament out there. Well, they do. And his kids love to skate. They were originally from Minnesota. And they had been skating at the rink that burned down. And so he said, well, I'm going to build a new rink. And he went over to the rink and he said to the guy that he liked that was in charge over there, he said, will you teach at my rink if I build one? And they say, sure. So he built a rink, he and his wife, Joyce. For the opening, he decided to invite all of the national champions from the United States to skate at the rink. And that's when I met him. During that time, we became very good friends. And I'm embarrassed that I really didn't know what he did for a living. I mean, <laughs> we had been invited to so many rinks to do so many shows. And I knew that he was Charles Schultz. But in the 50s, I didn't have Peanuts in our Indianapolis Star. Oh. So I hadn't read it, really. And then when I was competing, I didn't have time to do any of that. So I had an idea of what he did, but I had not the knowledge of the strip itself and the characters. We would sit and we would talk and he would say, boy, you're just like Snoopy. You act like Snoopy. And then I'd say something, he'd go, Snoopy would have said that. And so eventually in 1979, he, I think he was kind of embarrassed to ask a champion figure skater to be a character, but I don't know why with me, but after I first met him, I went into the Shipsteads and Johnson Ice Follies, and there Jim Henson had brought the Muppets. Oh, wow. So I said, oh, I want to skate as the Muppets. So after I already initiated that, then Sparky called, Charles Schultz Sparky, mm -hmm. called me and said, would you be my doll? Aww. So I'm the Beagle. What a great proposal. Yes. Looking for a great present for that reader or student in your life? You need to visit the online bookstore with a soul, Better World Books. They collect and sell books online to donate books and fund literacy initiatives worldwide. You can get that perfect present while helping promote literacy. Visit peaceofpersistence.com slash betterworld for free shipping worldwide and the chance to make a difference. That's peaceofpersistence.com slash betterworld. And what was it like wearing the suit? How hard was it to get used to it at first? You've done some really active stuff in it. Well, first of all, I still like to believe, and if I can believe, I think anybody can, that it isn't really a suit because Snoopy decides what to do. Snoopy can do anything. And he has done things like the backflip. I don't know why he decided that that was okay to do, but apparently I was involved in the decision. <laughs> but I like to separate myself to think I'm smarter than that. Yeah, Snoopy is 
a unique character. It's wonderful. Since we've talked about the suit, which I hate. Well, I talk about the suit for people who don't believe. Oh, like Santa Claus. Well, yeah. Anybody doesn't believe. Good heavens. Anyway, when I first started working as characters, I found out that I was claustrophobic. Oh, wow. That was not a good thing to find out. But over the years, I've worked with that and I've gotten through it. And uh, I just love Snoopy has the best wardrobe. We were just out in Santa Rosa helping with the fire victims. Oh, that's right. Is his widow okay? What happened with all of the memorabilia? Actually, that's one thing I definitely want to talk about. The Charles M. Schultz Museum, and you can look it up online, was fine. It was saved. It was probably three blocks from the fire. Thank goodness Jeannie Schultz, his widow, had put together this museum years ago. And so over 95% of his work has been saved. Oh, great. Yes. That's actually where we did the um, fundraisers last week. And Snoopy has a brand new hat. It's a first responders hat. But the one thing you have to do is make sure that hat was represented in Charles Schultz's strips. In other words, you can't originate a new look for Snoopy. Oh. It has to have been used. So we had to go back to 1969 to find a strip where Lucy had thrown uh, Schroeder's piano into the tree. Mm. And Linus was screaming for someone to help. And Snoopy comes in with his rescue hat. Did they design the rescue hat off of that strip? Let's say I designed it. Oh, that's wonderful. And my wonderfully talented husband, made the hat. Oh, well, Snoopy is brilliant. And I'm sure Blake is a wonderful assistant. He's he's fabulous. (laughs) What's your favorite part about playing Snoopy? Meeting people, listening. Snoopy does quite a bit of work with the army. And uh, the sad stories almost make me feel as good as the happy ones. Snoopy and I were in Germany and we were at the USO doing a, a holiday thing. And this one fellow walked in, and he had obviously been deployed and was back now in Germany. Physically, he seemed to be okay, but he was he was in shock. And he walked in. He was going to make an email or something to his family. And he looked at Snoopy, and he said, Snoopy? The Snoopy? Oh, I'm home. Now, you can't buy that. Wow. That's the best part. Or a little kid saying, I love you, Foopy. There's nothing like the love and the love that Judy can give out. Uh, You know, holding someone who says, I just lost my father or I just graduated from high school or, you know, whatever. They they can tell Snoopy anything. He doesn't talk back. He just holds them and loves them and they can cry or they can laugh. And it's amazing how much they'll talk. Listening is the best thing you can do in this world, I think. You know, you get to do something as Snoopy that I think I've always wondered about as an adult. You know, the way that people interact with babies and small children and dogs is totally different than the way that they interact with anyone else because they they let themselves go they're allowed to like sort of be a child again with them and actually love a stranger be it you know a child or a dog and we don't really do that as much with adults so you kind of get to experience that all from like a dog's perspective exactly yes yeah they that's amazing they trust snoopy Totally. Wow. What an amazing gift that you get to do that. That's so wonderful. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Me too. And also, um, they don't expect him to to say anything back. So they can try something out and just see. Part of my job is to kind of tilt Snoopy's head like he's interested. 
Actually, he does it himself, I'm sure. I believe in Snoopy probably more than anybody else does. Other people think it's a costume. But daggone it, when he takes over, I don't even know what he's doing and it works. <laughs> and you played Alice Snuffleupagus for nearly a decade. What was it like working on Sesame Street? Sesame Street. Well, first of all, the best thing about Sesame Street is that's where I found my husband. Judy found an audio guy that she's now married to. <laughs> but baby Snuffy was, she was very difficult. Uh, she was on all fours. If you look her up on YouTube or anything, she's on all fours. She has a very heavy head and I had a falsetto voice. Hmm. So my head was back with my neck stretched. And hands and feet, not hands and knees. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It was fun. I didn't experience it as as much fun as Snoopy because there weren't people. There wasn't interaction immediately, which is what I like. Yeah. So I would be a theater person as opposed to a film and TV person. Hmm. But the people that were there were amazing to meet Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, who was the Count. All of these people were such Fabulous, fabulous people and so funny. Wow, that's fantastic. What does happiness mean for you? Happiness for me means not letting the negative. Okay, I'm going to the store. Oh, it might rain. I'm so aware of when people say something to stop you or mm. maybe it's out of concern. I don't mean it's mean, but then I'll take an umbrella. It's not letting that, gee, you really can't do that. My mother said, everybody wants to be baby Alice Nuffleupagus. I said, I know they only need one person and that's going to be me. So, you know, not letting people who are, I guess, afraid that they'd fail, let you think that you can. I'm so glad you agreed to do this. <laughs> do you have any other advice for us? Keep learning. Learn everything you can. You never know when it's going to come in handy. You just don't know. Snoopy actually played in his first musical on ice um the piano from casablanca now we know that's a prop but only we know that as we know that snoopy is not real so for me it was a real piano snoopy was real and he got to play as time goes by on the real piano that was in casablanca so judy learned the fingering for as time goes by. Wow. So learn it. Don't just say, oh, I'm playing a piano or um, I'm going to do this today. I think I'll go bowling. Think about it. Think about what really goes into what you're wanting to do, even if it's just talking to somebody and having a conversation. Do you have a purpose or is it just fun? I love it. Judy, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. I'm so happy to be able to talk with you today. I'm so happy to be able to introduce you to everybody. This is this has really been great. Thank you. Thank you, Abigail. And thank you all for joining us today on The Piece of Persistence. If you're listening in real time, it's just a few days before the new year, and I'm wishing all of you a very happy and successful 2018. It's been an incredible season so far since we started the show back up in September, and I'm so grateful to all of you who have tuned in, shared us, supported us and told us how much you love the show. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm so excited to keep going into the new year with some great interviews, including a voiceover artist, an incredible actor and coach, a prolific wedding photographer, a personal trainer, actor, and writer, and the founder of the world's first virtual sexual health clinic. It's going to be a really exciting time. And don't forget, if you know anyone you think would be a good fit for the show, you can tell us who the next person will be. Point them to pieceofpersistence.com to learn more or email us at pieceofpersistence at gmail.com. Thanks as always, and we'll see you in 2018. Happy New Year. But if we forget what really makes us 
sing and dance at night. It's the the people around and our dreams that lift us up from underground.